This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Tuesday, December 10th, 2019. On this day in 1934, Tony Mancini began his trial for the Brighton Trunk Murders. But the crime itself was bound to another eerily similar murder. Mancini had secured a shark of a lawyer, but proving his innocence of the second crime would be an uphill battle. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering the trial of Tony Mancini, a 26-year-old Brighton man who was charged with killing his lover. Investigators found her decomposing body in his luggage trunk which he was using as a coffee table. Let's go back to mid-morning on December 10th, 1934, as Tony Mancini arrived at the Lewis Assizes courthouse. Norman Burkett waited at the door for his client, looking for a lanky man with sunken eyes. Finally, Mancini appeared, his dark hair slicked back, the combination of the hair and downturned snarl made Mancini appear rather smug, especially for someone about to be tried for the gruesome incident known as the second Brighton trunk murder. Tony Mancini didn't care. He would stand by his story. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. A petty criminal with a slew of charges on his record and little money to his name Mancini was lucky to have Norman Burkett backing his claims. A distinguished attorney and politician, Burkett would go on to serve as an alternate British judge during the Nuremberg trials. Despite his skill, Burkett had his work cut out for him with Mancini's case. All of Brighton was already convinced that his client was guilty. The crime had become all too familiar. That summer, an unidentified, dismembered woman had been packed into two separate luggage trunks. The appearance of the trunks was ghastly and unexpected. They seemed to proliferate out of thin air in the Brighton and King's Cross railway stations in June of 1934. Now, the two crimes were indelibly linked, at least in the minds of the public, the likelihood of two different murderers with a penchant for packing their victims into trunks seemed unbelievable. But Burkett was willing to wager that he had enough evidence to prove his client was only guilty of one thing, hiding Violet's body. That meant convincing the jury that someone else killed her. Burkett had a good idea of how to do this. 
He just had to prove Violet was a drug user and that her drug usage had killed her. The facts did suggest that Violet used drugs. A pathologist confirmed that there were high levels of morphine in her body at the time of death. This was the perfect setup. Burkett argued that the steps of Mancini and Violet's 44 Park Crescent apartment were steep enough to kill someone had she fallen while on drugs. Yes, he admitted, there was no skirting the fact that Mancini took Violet's dead body, put it in a trunk, and kept it in his apartment for six months. But Burkett emphasized his client's rattled emotional state when he found Violet's body. He was overwhelmed. He panicked. Still, the prosecution demanded to know why Mancini didn't call the authorities, and six months was a long time to live with a rotting body. Mancini explained, where the police are concerned, a man who's got convictions never gets a square deal. He simply didn't trust the authorities not to turn the case around on him. So, Mancini said, he packed Violet's body into a trunk. And then, when he moved a few days later, paid a handyman to help him move the trunk. To bolster up the idea that Mancini was simply a suspicious, perhaps dim-witted man rather than a murderer, Burkett pointed out to the jury that the clothes Mancini was wearing when he moved Violet were purchased after she was dead. He clearly moved her, yes, but only after she died, and there was absolutely no evidence that he committed murder. Burkett hoped this evidence was enough to corroborate Mancini's story, but the jury didn't look quite convinced. Coming up, we'll see what verdict the jury had in store for Tony Mancini. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Now back to the story. On December 10, 1934, Tony Mancini went on trial for killing his girlfriend with a hammer. The evidence was stacked against him. Her body was found in a trunk at his apartment, where it had been rotting for six months. But he had an excellent lawyer. On December 14th, the jury left the courthouse to deliberate. They returned two hours later with a verdict. Tony Mancini would walk free. He was not guilty. During the 40 years following Tony Mancini's trial, the trunk murders seemed to sink into Brighton's sordid past. But the first trunk murder remained especially haunting. Though it was deemed unrelated to that of Violet Kay, neither that woman nor her killer were ever identified. The crime quietly crept out of public discussion. But in 1976, it was brought back to center stage. Tony Mancini was 68 
and in ill health, he decided it was time to tell his story. He sat down with British tabloid News of the World, and sparing no detail, Mancini described exactly what had happened that day in May of 1934. Violet had confronted him while he was at work at the Skylark Cafe. The argument escalated, and Violet accused Tony of cheating on her. She stormed off. Witnesses suggest she may have been drunk at the time. That evening, the mood remained tense when Tony returned home to the apartment they shared at 44 Park Crescent. Violet and Tony bickered fiercely, reigniting their earlier row. Violet again demanded an explanation from Tony about whether or not he was seeing a young waitress at the cafe. He fired back, calling her jealous. The two came to blows when Violet picked up a hammer near the fireplace. She threatened Tony with it. He charged towards her. The two struggled. Finally, Tony pried the weapon out of her hands. Unwilling to stop there, Kay demanded the hammer back. Taking her words literally, Mancini threw it. The hammer collided with Violet's temple and killed her instantly. It was here that Mancini's account to the News of the World reporter began to match the story he had told the courtroom 40 years before. He packed Violet's body into the luggage trunk, then waited a few days until he was able to move apartments. Next, he hired a handyman to help him transport the trunk. The two men wheeled the massive case out the back of 44 Park Crescent to a new apartment at 52 Kemp Street, about a 15-minute walk. Mancini stowed the trunk and tried to lay low. But it was only a matter of time. Violet, who was a sex worker, was noticeably absent from the neighborhood where she often picked up clients, and Brighton police were still searching for the killer of the unidentified woman of the first trunk murder. They thought this could be a lead. The authorities brought Tony in for questioning, but he adamantly denied that the dead woman in question could be Violet. He assured them that Violet had left him for a job in Paris. Additionally, he reminded them that Violet was 42. The unidentified woman was around 25 and pregnant. Tony was released, and the police doggedly continued their search. Door-to-door -door investigations began. Canvassing homes individually was time-intensive, but they had no leads. When the police knocked on the door of 52 Kemp Street in June, there was no reply. But a painter working on the block had complained of a putrid stench wafting from the building. They forced their way in and found a black leather trunk. The trunk was covered with cloth, serving as a makeshift coffee table. However, the smell was undeniably emanating from the table and the pool of unidentified liquid seeping from the trunk's bottom. They opened the trunk to find the body of Violet Kay. The headline, I Got Away With Murder, went out to the world. 
but Mancini died soon after, and the case was never reopened. Still, the confession did reignite a more general public interest in the trunk murders. It added fuel to Brighton's unfortunate nickname, the Queen of Slaughtering Places. Orson Welles created his own dramatic take on the crime for a radio broadcast in 1951, and the 1993 play Trunks borrowed from the incident as well. The narrative embellishments of the Brighton trunk murders, though, often bypass one sad fact, the identity of the first woman whose remains were split between the two trunks found in railway stations was never determined. Her killer was never found. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Andy Waits, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Carly Madden. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Mackenzie Moore, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon and Maggie Admire. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 